Good morning. My name is David Fisk. I'm one of the pastors here at InTown. Glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. We're continuing our sermon series on the book of Revelation. And the number one takeaway that I want you to have from this preaching series, it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. It's only one. It's not multiple. It's singular, okay? Just one. You can ask my wife. It drives me crazy. But when we look at the, bo- the book of Revelation, I know this might sound weird, but we need to think of it as John's Instagram account. Like he's showing pictures. He's flashing visions, kind of painting portraits of biblical truths that he's trying to hammer home. He's painting these pictures in in this book so that we might know more about Jesus. And he's not doing it to confuse us or discourage us. He's doing it, as chapter 1, verse 3 says, to bless us and to help us. So if you're hearing me preach it and you're discouraged or anxious, I'm not preaching it right. Okay, but think of it like we're we're studying it, all these pictures and these visions. We're studying them so that we can see what Jesus is teaching us and how to make much of Him from those pictures and visions and portraits. So John's Instagram account. Sam's going to come and read for us, and then we will pray. The scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word, that you have not remained distant, but you have pursued us. And you have given us your word so that we might know more about you. More about you as our Father more about you as Son and Savior, and more about you as your Spirit, who is with us. And we pray that he would be here this morning and would encourage us and convict us and grow us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you written a paper and had it graded and give it back to you? Okay, like half of in town went to high school. Okay. Um, I feel like there were two graders, two types of graders, and they're kind of on the ends of the spectrum. You know, you like, you, you write the paper, you hand it in, you get it back, and it's like, great point, wonderful logic here, love your choice of words here. And then you get an 88. 
and you're like, I, I, what, what did I do wrong? Like, I need, some, <laughs> I need some guidance here. Like, how would I improve? Or it's kind of at the other end, you know? Like, where the professor's like, she's just hashing out the, the red ink, and it's everywhere, and like, you, you can't do anything right, and all of your word choices are bad, and none of your logic makes sense, and she just hammers it, and you're like, well, do I do anything right? Is that not what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, steer me, guide me. And I say that because I want you to know that Jesus is not just a greater. Jesus is not just a greater. Jesus cares more about who you are than what you do. Who you are and what you do. Now, hold on. I'm not saying that he doesn't care what you do. It's not what you do versus who you are. It's who you are and what you do, okay? You can read about it in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So in order to shape his people into who he wants them to be, he will commend them and he will correct them. And it's not like, oh, I just want you to keep following the rules and I'm going to keep you in line and make you do the right thing all the time. It's like, no, he's conforming us into who he wants us to be as Christians. And so we're going to look at chapter 2, but I'm doing my best Jimmy Aiken impression because I have a slide. Yes. There's an amen from over here. Uh, only one. <laughs> so in Revelation 2 and chapter, and chapter 3, there, there's a literary structure of seven letters. And there's the same literary structure in all the letters. Okay, so let me just give you some examples. So the first thing is that Jesus commands John to write to the angel of the church in blank. Write. That's where he starts, okay? So every single one will say, it'll say a name, it'll say Ephesus, Thyatira, you know, Smyrna, whatever. It will also have Jesus describe himself to the church. And it's different in every, with every church. In Smyrna, it's the words of the first and last who died and came back to life. That's why ooh, Smyrna, you see the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who came back to life. So we'll go back. And then in Thyatira, he says, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. But then you get into the next part where Jesus then diagnoses, he gives a diagnosis by commending or, and or correcting. Okay, so an example is in Pergamum, verse 13, he commends them for not denying his faith, but then he's like, I got a few things against you that I'm going to have to correct. So that's one example. Um, the next one is he commands everyone to repent. There's always a challenge to repent. He has said, 
uh, in Thyatira, there, that there was a prophetess leading people astray. And in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2, he says, I gave her time to repent, but if you follow in her, you are going to have some tribulation unless you repent. So you see there's always a command to repent. Next one is Jesus exhorts the church to hear and obey. So since he's writing seven to seven different churches, he's going to have seven different commands to those church, churches specifically. So like Smyrna, he says, don't be afraid. You're about to suffer. You're about to have tribulation from the devil, and I want you to not fear. And so that's an example of him commanding that. And then last you see, he promises to those who overcome. He promises to those who overcome. And it's always attached to these words that we had in verse 7 of our text. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? It's always going to be attached to that. Now Smyrna, he says, be faithful to death and I will give you the crown of life. Over, and he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. I am doing my, there we go. Okay. Uh, and then in Pergamum, he says, the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna or bread. And that's why there's little loaves of bread right there in their, in their circle. See that? And then in Thyatira, verse 28, he will give them the morning star. The morning star is himself. And so you see that, chapter 2, verse 28. And so chapter 2 addresses these four and then chapter 3 is going to have three more churches that someone else will preach about next week. Here we go. We're going to talk just about Ephesus. There we go. Letter to Ephesus. Okay, so verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. And what does he say first? What does he say f first? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars, that's Jesus, in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is describing himself with power. I can hold seven stars in my hand. That's how powerful I am. But, what else does it say? It says, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And remember, the lampstands stand for churches. So he walks in the midst of all his churches. And he's showing, like, I'm powerful, but I'm always in your midst. And I know what you do, and I know who you are. Which then leads to how he would provide a diagnosis. And he commends the Ephesians at first in verse 2. He says, I know your works, you toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He's saying, look, man, I've seen your toiling. I've seen your endurance. I've seen these things, and I, like, that's awesome. I'm so happy, you know, check mark, good logic. Um, I, I love those things. I'm happy about that. And he's showing that the Ephesians 
have pursued doctrine. They've pursued theology. Like they've examined this group of apostles and said, nope, you're out. We don't want you because you're false, like it says at the end of verse 2. And then it's like it's showing this is a community that loves the Bible and all of the theology from it. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Like They care about what it is that they believe. They're even willing to suffer for the Bible and their theology. And Jesus is commending them. He's commending them for what they're doing. And you see, who is it for? See in verse 3, they're bearing up for my namesake, for Jesus' namesake, for the sake of Jesus. And there's even this test case in here that they mention in verse 6. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he's like, yes, good, I'm commending you. This is right. You've booted them out. You've rejected their theology. Good job. And you might say, like, why is this so important? Like, well, because theology shows us who God is. Theology shows us what God has done for us. I mean, think about just the word theology, the study of God, the study of God. And whether you're a Christian or not, like what you believe shapes what you do and how you live and what you care about. And you're seeing here that, well, it's a, com- it's a command to us, too, that we need to study who God is and who, or what he believes and what he has done for us and what he loves so that we can make sense of the world, of our lives, and our worldview. And the way that this would apply is just like it gives us hope. It gives us love it gives us faith. It gives us empowerment. So our doctrine is so important. Like, you know, this is why Jesus is commending the Ephesians. He's saying, good job. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to say, why did he write seven letters and then share them with everybody? Like, He wrote one book of the Bible and has seven letters to seven specific people. Why? You're just airing everybody's dirty laundry, you know? Like, why did you do that? Well, I'm not doing my Jimmy impersonation, but if you had a map of Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey and you followed these seven churches, you would see that it would be a typical, traditional, um, logical route of geography for them to go in. And so he would have taken this letter to everywhere, to all seven churches, and they would have seen all of it. And you might say, well, well, I don't go to that church. It doesn't apply to me. Simmer down, grouch boy. No. Jesus had... Jesus had John send the letter of Revelation to all seven churches. Why? Because he wants each church to understand that your temptations are common to everyone. 
the things that they are guilty of and need correction from are common to you and me even today. Okay, the Spirit is talking to all the churches because the temptations are common to all humanity. So like the temptation to care more about your home than following Jesus, old, it's not like a 21st century thing. Like that's old. For the temptation for you to care more about your children and what's going on with them than Jesus, that's an old temptation. For you to care about money, old temptation. For you to care more about like your appearance, that's an old temptation. And those are all temptations to all of us. And so he's writing it saying, everybody needs to hear these struggles. Okay? Everyone needs to hear these struggles. And this does apply. Okay? Now, I'm coming back to the diagnosis, and we're looking at how does he correct? How does he correct the Ephesians? Because we can, we can pursue theology at the expense of love. When I was an RUF campus minister, we used to joke, like, there's nothing worse than a brand new Calvinist. Because <laughs> they just want to argue all the time and, like, end up offending everyone. And people are like, do you love anyone? You know? <laughs> You're like, did you ask Jesus into your heart or John Calvin into your heart? Um, <laughs> But Jesus is saying to the Ephesians, like, it's right in what you believe. You have your doctrine, but you're wrong in what you love the most. And think about it. The people in Ephesians, in Ephesus, would not have said, hey guys, let's start out as doctrinalists and lose our first love. Right? They wouldn't have started out that way. Just like you and I in our society today. No one starts out wanting to be a workaholic. They just go to work. And it's slowly your love begins to change. It's slowly that you can begin to lose it. And so Jesus is coming to these Ephesians and saying, like, I'm not going to leave you in the ways that you're living that are wrong. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to do it lovingly see that in verse 4. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have pursued theology at the expense of love. You've lost the love of Christ and his people, and therefore you've lost your witness to the world. Because if you abandon theology, or if you abandon love, excuse me, if you abandon love, you abandon theology. Because all of the Bible is about loving God and loving neighbor. The Bible, true biblical doctrine, is going to lead you to love. It's going to lead you to loving other people and caring for other people because you see God's heart and you see who God is. And you say, oh, God loves other people. I'm going to love other people. And, And my point is just, If there is no love, it's not true Christianity. It's not. And Jesus is very serious about this. He's saying, like, once you were zealous for me, there was a time that you were zealous for me, and you were a witness. 
You witnessed to me, about me to other people, that's what I should say. Saying, but you've lost it. You've lost it. Now, I want to say, like, in verse 5, he kind of gives the, the consequence of this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If you don't, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Okay, now, well, like, what is a lampstand supposed to do? It's supposed to give off light so that you know the direction in which to go. So that others will know the direction that you should go as well. And just like, I'm not making Jesus as this Santa Claus of like, you better do this or you're going to get in trouble. And if you don't do the right things, if you're naughty, then you're not going to get any presents from me. No, that's not what I'm saying. He's coming and correcting what they love the most. And so we as readers of this book need to ask ourselves the same question. What do we love the most? And you do that by looking at what you do and who you are. What do you love the most? Another way to think of it is, like, what do you refuse to give up? I will never forgive my sister for what she did. I don't have a sister, so I'm not talking about anyone specific. Or, you know... I'm not giving 10% of my money. Are you crazy? Like, I barely can do what I have now. Like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to talk about Jesus with my neighbor. That's awkward. No thanks. I would argue, I don't know that Jesus is your first love if you're refusing to give those things to him. Jesus wants all of you all of y'all, all of us, not just parts, right? Like, he doesn't want veneer Christians. He wants Christians who are going to shine as bright lights so that they're healthy. He wants that, and he's doing that by his Spirit. He's helping it happen so that it will help ourselves, so it will help each other, and so it will help us be a witness to the world. Jesus is saying, I have to be your first love. I have to be your first love. And I don't know if you're like me, but you might go, um, yeah, I don't always do that. What do I do when I fail? And I would argue, it, well, in my experience, I would argue Christians are really bad at this, of answering that question. What do I do when I fail as a Christian? Well, um, I need to just get myself together and get my act together and start following Jesus better. Like, eh. Or, no, 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 I'm going to justify my sin to you. I'm not taking that one. It's like we boil down Christianity to like, okay, now I have to earn it back. And our society loves the people who earn it back, right? The people who fall down six times but get up seven. 
the underdog who comes back and wins, right? They love that. But our culture is different than what Jesus is saying here. If you're a Christian, he's saying in verse 5, you need to repent. You need to repent. If, you will, if I come to you and you will not remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We repent. We own our sin. We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and put our faith in Jesus again. Right? We put our faith back into him as he's the one who's earned it. He's the one who's earned God's love, my standing before the God of the universe as a loved child of God. He's the one that's done that. And so I want to turn back to him and say, okay, I'm putting my faith back into you. I trust you. And, I mean, the answer to the question, what do I do when I fail, makes Christianity different than every other religion. Because every other religion says, earn it. Earn it. And Christianity says, someone earned it for you. Someone earned it for you. It's not because you're special. It's not because you have incredible doctrine and can quote Tulip and all that kind of stuff. It's not because you're... It's because of God's grace, because of Jesus' love, because it's the work of the Spirit. It's all Jesus' mercy. He has earned it for us. I want you to repent, to turn from your sin and turn back to me and put your faith in me that I'm the one who's earned this for you. I'm the one who makes you who you are. I have earned forgiveness. I have earned love. I have earned the redemption of the world. Put your faith back in me. And it's not just that you get forgiveness. It's that it's the whole world that Jesus has redeemed. We'll get more to that in a minute. So you see, he gives the command to repent. Well, then he gives an exhortation to everybody to hear and obey. And I'm sure you heard it in here. He says that you have lost your love. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. He's saying, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you did at first. And do those things. It's almost like he's saying, do what is going to make you love Jesus the most. Okay? Do what you love. Do what will make you love Jesus the most. Right? And what Jesus is saying is like, if you need to carve out some time to read your Bible more so that you'll love me, then do it. If you need to spend some time in prayer, do it. If we need to have the Lord's Supper and talk about how meaningful it actually is, do it. But those are all like the Christian obvious answers, right? Like, what if we utilize our community and our gifts? And I just said, brother, can we get together and just talk about, like, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And you have a conversation with your friend about it. 
struggling that I'm apathetic, right? Talk to a friend. Or maybe you get out your journal and start journaling to God and saying, this is how I feel right now. And if he, Jesus, walks amongst the lampstands, he knows what you're going to write, and he's not shocked by it, okay? So, like, be honest when you write it. <laughs> right? Like, journaling it out, it can help you kind of process that more in your brain. Maybe you need to listen to music. Maybe you need to look at art or do art. All these different things, whatever is going to make you love Jesus more, do it. And it might be a book on theology. Go for it. I'll give you some of mine. Okay, so we come now to the last, last one. What are the promises to those who overcome in our passage? Well, in verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. I am sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. Verse 7. <laughs> sorry, I repent to you. Will you forgive me? I'm just modeling it now. <laughs> um, verse 7. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so here it comes. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Okay? So Jesus tells John to write this down. Jesus tells John to write the tree of life. Now, you have to understand something about Ephesus. In Ephesus, there was a huge city landmark called the Temple of Artemis. And do you know what its symbol was? A palm tree. So immediately the readers would have understood, oh, this is a comparison between the tree and this tree, and go, oh, okay. I go to the temple of Artemis for asylum. That was what they went for. And asylum, I mean, it's like it's, like it's just protection. It's like base when you're playing tag, you know? And I want you to think about not just that idea but also the other idea that he's saying here. Because where have you seen this tree of life? All the way back at the beginning. At the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 2 and 3, when Adam and Eve lived with God, and they walked with God, and they served God perfectly, and everything was the way it was supposed to be. You might say, well, you know, what is Jesus doing? I want you to hear. He's tying Christianity in the book of Revelation back to Genesis at the beginning and going, this whole story is coming to this place in Revelation. He's saying, this is where the story of the Bible goes. That was the beginning. This is the end. This is the end. And he's, he's saying, if you're going to be conquerors, I want you to be conquerors because God will win. Don't give up. Keep going. 
because of Jesus, God will win. And he empowers you to follow him. He's saying, I was saying earlier, it's not just forgiveness, it's a story of redemption, right? It's God created all things, and then humanity rebelled against him, and then he says, no, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to buy it back. I'm going to earn it back through Jesus. But then there's one more step that we often forget about. Like, I'm going to make it paradise with God. I'm going to make it so that you eat from the tree of life. That's really different than asylum. So he's comparing those two and going, this is so much better, right? Like you're going to live in a perfect world that's totally been restored to what it was supposed to be, and you and I will be perfect, and us and God will have a perfect relationship, and the world, the creation will be perfect. That's how we're going to live. That's the end of the story. That's why you can keep going. That's why you can overcome. That's why you endure. That's why it's worth it, because Jesus has secured the ending through his life and death and resurrection. He has secured it. There's no other way that the story ends. God will win. Now, I know some of you deeply care about theology, and that's good. You should, but sometimes you struggle to love people who have different theology than you. And there's others of you that are like, ah, theology, that's just divisive, and I'm just going to go love people. like, okay, well, actually, I'll finish with this. Jesus, he wants more. He wants more. He wants what you care. He wants you to care about both. He wants you to deeply care about the doctrines and the theology of, God, of the Bible. He also wants you to love others. And he is doing whatever it's going to take to correct you. And you might go, I don't like that. That doesn't sound loving. Well, in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, those whom I correct are the ones that I love. So he's saying, I love you enough to not let you stay in your sin. I love you so much, I'm going to help you change. I'm going to help you overcome He's going to shape us into people who will overcome the difficulties and the sufferings and the sadness and the struggles and the brokenness of the world. He is shaping us to be those people through His Spirit. He is shaping us through His Spirit to strengthen our witness to the world. He is strengthening us and promising to do it through His Spirit that we will overcome, continue to follow him, because by the work of Jesus, God will win.
and it's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to lose our love for you. It's easy for us to get distracted by other things. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, would you challenge us to examine ourselves and find the things that we love the most, and if we need to repent, then we want to do that. Please continue to lead us in that way. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.